In our last episode, we uncovered that the prophet Elisha experienced more supernatural events in his life than any other person in the Old Testament except for Moses. Today, we'll examine the life of Elisha and discover how the Lord God showed up in the life of his prophet and his people. But before we get to today's episode, I want to ask for your help. If you enjoy listening to this podcast and make us a regular part of your faith journey, can I ask for your support? We, we can't make any podcasts, videos, sermons, and books without the continual support of friends like you. Time of Grace is 100% donor-funded, meaning it is your gifts that make it possible for us to use television, print, and digital media to share the good news of God's amazing grace. Just click on the link in the episode notes. Thank you for all of your prayers, your encouragement, and your support. The Bible is incredibly interconnected with threads that run through it from beginning to end. In this podcast, I will uncover these threads, help you dig deeper into God's truth, and inspire you to live your life with greater confidence and joy. Welcome to Bible Threads with me, Dr. Bruce Becker. Let's get started. When Elisha's predecessor, Elijah, was taken up to heaven in a whirlwind, his cloak fell to the ground. So, what's a cloak? Well, there were two essential pieces of clothing described in the Old Testament that people wore, a cloak and a tunic. A tunic was an inner garment, and the cloak was an outer garment. We'd call a cloak a coat. It was typically a full-length garment from the shoulders to the ankles. It also doubled as a blanket when a person slept. Anyway, Elisha picked up Elijah's cloak. Recall from our last episode that Elijah's ascension to heaven took place on the eastern bank of the Jordan River. To cross back over the Jordan, Elisha stood on the bank of the river and struck the water with the cloak. As he did, he asked a question. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah? He got his answer. When he struck the water with his cloak, the waters parted and Elisha crossed over to the other side. He then walked a few miles to the city of Jericho and stayed there. One day the leaders of the city, we might call them the city council, came to Elisha. They informed Elisha that although the city was strategically located, they had a serious problem with their water supply. The spring that was nearby was bad, and the land was unproductive in growing crops because of it. With the power of the Lord, Elisha decided to help. He told the leaders to bring him a bowl, a new bowl, and to put salt in it. Elisha then took the bowl of salt, went out to the spring, and threw the salt into the spring. Elisha then spoke, This is what the Lord says, I have healed this water. Never again will it cause death or make the land unproductive. Pretty amazing, don't you think? This was God's original version of the water softener. 
Another Supernatural Event by the Lord God From Jericho, Elisha headed to Bethel. Now, did you know that the city of Bethel is mentioned more frequently in the Old Testament than any other city except for Jerusalem? It was a city of foremost importance, located about 11 miles north of Jerusalem. Bethel was a major trading center because the north-south trade route passed through Bethel, as did the major east-west trade route that went from Jericho to the Mediterranean Sea. Bethel means house of God. Now, the first time we hear about Bethel in the Bible is during the life of Abraham. Earlier in his life, when he was still called Abram, he built an altar there. Later in his life, Abraham offered a sacrifice at Bethel. Abraham's grandson, Jacob, had a dream one night at Bethel. It was his stairway to heaven dream in which he saw angels going up and down the stairway. At this time in his life, Jacob was on the run after deceiving his brother and father to get the firstborn blessing. After several decades of being away, Jacob returned to Bethel where he then built an altar. For hundreds of years, Bethel would remain a major worship site. The Bible also says that Isaac's wife, Rebekah, her nurse by the name of Deborah, was buried under an oak tree near Bethel. The better-known Deborah in the Bible, who was a prophet and judge in Israel, held court at a site near Bethel. Then, during the time of the divided kingdoms, King Jeroboam of Israel established two temples in the northern kingdom. One was at Dan in the north, and the other at Bethel in the south. Finally, during the time of the prophets, the Lord God would repeatedly send prophets to the city of Bethel to preach against the idolatry and evil that existed in all of Israel. Well, that's Bethel. On his way to Bethel, Elisha encountered a large group of young people. Now, we don't know for sure how old these young people actually were because the Hebrew word covers an age span from newborns to teenagers. And it's a word that can refer to either boys or girls. But based upon what they said and did, I'm inclined to think of them as teenagers. Teenage boys who had the natural ability to be stupid. These young people had come from town, and they mocked Elisha because he was the Lord's prophet. Apparently, Elisha was follically challenged. The youths mocked Elisha because he was bald. Go on up, you bald head, they said. Elisha turned to the youth, looked at them, and called down a curse on them in the name of the Lord. The Lord gave power to that curse in that two female bears came out of the woods and mauled to death 42 of them. Although God's punishment may seem harsh to us, these young people reflected the times. There was a great disdain in the kingdom of Israel for the word of the Lord and those who proclaimed it. To the parents of these 42 youth and the residents of the city, this was a strong message about what happens to those who reject the word of the Lord. There's a lesson here for us, don't you think? The next supernatural encounter in the life of Elisha is one that isn't well known, at least I don't think it is. It's an event that was 150 years in the making. 
We have to go back 150 years to when King David conquered the small country of Moab, located east of the Dead Sea, and required Moab to pay tribute to Israel. Now, in 2 Kings chapter 3, we learn that the tribute was 100,000 lambs and the wool from 100,000 rams. Well, the king of Moab in Elisha's day rebelled. He didn't want to pay that tribute any longer, and his name was Misha. The king of Israel at this time was Joram, one of King Ahab's sons. Remember Ahab and his wicked witch of a wife, Jezebel? Joram recruited the king of Judah, King Jehoshaphat, to join him in battle against the country of Moab, because they had rebelled. They decided to attack Moab from the south, going through the country of Edom, which was located south-southwest of the Dead Sea. The king of Edom joined the king of Israel and the king of Judah in this fight. Along the way, however, the three armies ran out of water. Joram, the king of Israel, who was not faithful to the Lord God, he asked, Has the Lord called us three kings together only to hand us over to Moab? Jehoshaphat, who was a king faithful to the Lord God, asked, Is there no prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the Lord through him? An officer of the king of Israel responded by saying, Elisha was such a prophet. So the three kings went three kings went to see Elisha. When the three kings arrived, Elisha told King Joram, We've got nothing in common. Why don't you go and inquire of your parents' prophets, the prophets of Baal and Asherah? Elisha also told Joram that the only reason he was even acknowledging him was because of his respect for Jehoshaphat. Then Elisha said, Now bring me a harpist. That's interesting, isn't it? While the harpist was playing, the hand of the Lord came on Elisha, and he said, This is what the Lord says, I will fill this valley with pools of water. For this is what the Lord says, You will see neither wind nor rain, yet this valley will be filled with water, and you, your cattle, and your other animals will drink. This is an easy thing in the eyes of the Lord. He will also deliver Moab into your hands. And it happened as Elijah said, or Elisha said. Water mysteriously filled the land the next morning without there being a rain cloud in the sky. By the way, if you are into archaeology, there is an artifact from the life of King Misha of Moab which chronicled some of his life. It's referred to as the Misha inscription, or also as the Moabite stone. What remains of it is on display in the Louvre in Paris. So if you ever travel to the City of Light, go check it out. The next supernatural event in the life of Elisha demonstrated the Lord's kindness shown to a widow and her two sons. The woman had been married to a man who was in the company of the prophets, sometimes referred to as the school of the prophets. But he died. Elisha obviously knew the man as one of his student prophets and that he had revered the Lord. The woman came to Elisha and told him that her husband's creditor was coming to take her two sons and make them his slaves because the widow couldn't pay the family debt. 
Elisha asked her, What do you have in your house? She said, Nothing at all except for a little oil. Elisha told her then to go and ask her neighbors for empty jars, as many as she could get. And she did. Then Elisha told her to start pouring oil out of the jar that she had into the empty jars from her neighbors. The oil kept flowing until all of the empty jars were filled. Then Elisha told her to go and sell the oil, pay off her debts, and live on what was left. It was an amazing, kind gift from God. One day, Elisha traveled to the village of Shunem. Shunem was located in the north-central part of Israel in the Jezreel Valley. There was a well-to-do woman there, and she lived there with her husband. Now, she recognized that Elisha was a holy man of God, so she invited him to come to their home for a meal. Elisha accepted the invitation. Then the woman suggested to her husband that they should make a room for Elisha where he could stay any time he and his servant Gehazi came to Shunem. Then on another visit to Shunem, Elisha wanted to express his thanks to the woman for her hospitality. Elisha asked what he could do for her. She said she liked nothing. It was then that Gehazi pointed out to Elisha that she didn't have a son and that her husband was old. So Elisha told her that she would hold a son in her arms within the year. And it happened just as Elisha had said it would. One day the son, who was now a young lad, went to his father, who was working out in the fields. He cried out to his father, My head, my head! Something was obviously wrong. The father had a servant carry the boy home to his mother, but by noon he had died. The Bible doesn't tell us the cause of the boy's condition, perhaps sunstroke or a brain aneurysm. We just don't know. The mother carried the boy to Elisha's room and laid him on Elisha's bed. Along with a servant, she then went to find Elisha, who was at Mount Carmel. When she told Elisha that her son was dead, Elisha sent Gehazi to her home in Shunem and told him to lay his own staff on the boy. Gehazi did as he was told, but the boy remained lifeless. So Elisha went up to the woman's home, went into the room, shut the door, and laid on the boy. The boy became warm. Elisha got up and paced in the room before lying on top of the boy one more time. This time the boy opened his eyes, and he sneezed seven times. The Lord God, through Elisha, raised this boy back to life. And did you know that this is the only place in the entire Bible that someone is said to have sneezed? Interesting. The next two supernatural events in Elisha's life involve food. One day when Elisha was in Gilgal, and by the way, Gilgal was near Jericho. It was where the Israelites first camped after crossing the Jordan when they entered the Promised Land under the leadership of Joshua. At Gilgal, Elisha met with the company of the prophets, a group of prophets whom Elisha mentored. One of the men went into the fields to gather herbs and gourds to make a pot of stew. 
When the group sat down to eat it, they realized that the stew was not fit to eat, and they cried out, O man of God, there is death in the pot. Elisha said, Get some flour. He put it into the pot and said, Serve it to the people. Whatever had been bad with the stew was no longer an issue after Elisha stirred in the flour, and all of the people ate it. The second food event reminds me of Jesus' feeding of the 5,000, where he fed a crowd of thousands with just a few loaves of bread and a couple of fish. One day a man brought to Elisha 20 loaves of barley bread made from the first of the grain harvest, along with some heads of ripe grain. Elisha said to his servant, Give it to the people to eat. But the servant said, How can I set this before a hundred men? The servant realized there wouldn't be enough to feed all of the people. Elisha responded and told his servant to start giving out the bread and the grain. Then when everyone had had enough to eat, there were even leftovers. Nothing is impossible with the Lord God. One of the more interesting events in Elisha's life and ministry was his interaction with an army commander named Naaman a man who was afflicted with the dreaded disease of leprosy. Now, Naaman wasn't a commander in Israel's army, but rather in the army of the king of Aram. The country of Aram was located northeast of the kingdom of Israel. Damascus was its capital, and today we know it as the country of Syria. On one occasion, Naaman and his men, who were part of a raiding party that had crossed into Israel, they took a young girl captive whom Naaman gave to his wife as a servant girl. One day, the servant girl said to Naaman's wife, If only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to the king and told him what the girl from Israel had said. The king said, By all means, go, and I'll send a letter to the king of Israel. Naaman left for Israel, taking along ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothing, along with the letter from the king. The letter read, With this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. The king of Israel was incredulous upon reading this. He tore his robes and said, Who does he think I am, God? When Elisha heard what the king of Israel said and did, he sent the king a message. Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger out with the message, Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River, and you will be healed. Now it was Naaman's turn to be incredulous. He said, I, I thought that he would come, come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. And all he wants me to do is go wash in the Jordan? Seriously? There are much better rivers in Damascus that I could wash in. And then Naaman left in a rage. But his servants came to him and said, If the prophet had told you to do something difficult, wouldn't you have done it? Why not do what the prophet said? So Naaman did 
and he was cured of his leprosy just as Elisha had promised. Naaman was so grateful that he offered a gift to Elisha, which Elisha declined. Elisha didn't want anyone to think that one could buy God's blessings. Naaman on that day also committed to serving the Lord God for the rest of his life. Then he headed back toward Aram. Elisha's servant Gehazi thought to himself, My master was too easy on Naaman by not accepting the money and the clothes he had brought. I will run after him and get something from him. When Gehazi caught up to Naaman, he made up a story, a total lie, and ended up getting two talents of silver and two sets of clothes for his devious actions. When Gehazi returned, he put the money and clothes in the house and went to see Elisha. As a prophet of the Lord, Elisha knew exactly what Gehazi had done and pronounced God's judgment on him. Naaman's leprosy will cling to you and your descendants forever. A sad ending to a life-changing event. The next supernatural event in the life of Elisha might seem trivial to us, but it was a powerful teaching lesson for the company of the prophets. One day, the company of the prophets came to Elisha and said, You know, where we are meeting with you is, is too small of a place. Why don't we go to the banks of the Jordan and build a place where, there where we, we can all live? Elisha supported the idea. So they went to the Jordan and began to cut down trees with the lumber to be used to build the structure. As one of the men was cutting down a tree, his axe head fell into the river. It was made of iron and sank to the bottom. Now, this was a big deal for two reasons. First, the man indicated that the axe head had been borrowed. It wasn't even his own. And secondly, you just couldn't run to Home Depot and buy a new one. Elisha, the man said, what should I do? Elisha said, had the man show him the place where the axe head had fallen into the river. Elisha took a stick and threw it into the water. And imagine the reaction of the man when he saw the iron axe head floating on top of the water. He reached down and retrieved it. Gravity was no match for the power of the Lord God. The last three supernatural events in Elisha's life involved the nation of Aram, also known as Syria. The king of Aram was Ben-Hadad II. The Arameans and the nation of Israel were at war with each other at this time. With his generals, Ben-Hadad set up his army camp in a strategic position to attack the Israelite army. But God revealed to Elisha where this was so that the Israelite army could avoid it. This appears to have happened repeatedly. The king of Aram wanted to know if he had a traitor in his army that was informing the king of Israel of their location. His officers told the king, No, it's not any one of us. It's the prophet Elisha who tells the king of Israel even the things you say in your bedroom. Ben-Hadad decided to put a stop to this. He asked where Elisha was. He was told that Elisha was in the city of Dothan, a city located on the southern end of the Jezreel Valley. Dothan is only mentioned one other time in the Bible. It was where Joseph's brothers were tending their father Jacob's flocks. It's near the place where these brothers sold Joseph into slavery. 
Anyway, the king sent a large contingent of soldiers to surround the city of Dothan in order to capture Elisha. When Elisha's servant saw this large army of horses and chariots, he asked Elisha what they should do. Elisha's response was, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed that the Lord would open the eyes of his servant to see what Elisha could see. The hills were filled with horses and chariots of fire, a great host of heaven. Then Elisha prayed that the soldiers of Aram would all be blinded. When they couldn't see, Elisha went to them and offered to lead them to the place where they could find Elisha. Elisha led them right into the capital city of Samaria, where he prayed that they could see again. The king of Israel asked Elisha if he should kill the enemy soldiers. Elisha said, No. Instead, prepare a meal for them and send them on their way. The result of this hospitality was that for a time, Aram stopped raiding Israel's territory. Elisha served as the Lord's mouthpiece for more than 50 years. When he was in his 80s, he developed a serious illness. He died and was buried in a tomb. But there is one last supernatural event to mention. Here is what we read in 2 Kings chapter 13. Now Moabite raiders used to enter the country every spring. Once while some Israelites were burying a man, suddenly they saw a band of raiders. So they threw the man's body into Elisha's tomb. When the body touched Elisha's bones, the man came to life and stood on his feet. The Lord God used the bones of his servant Elisha to give life to a dead man. In our next episode, we'll explore the supernatural events in the lives of Isaiah, Daniel, and Jonah. If you have any questions about this podcast, please email me at bruce at timeofgrace.org. I'd love to hear from you. And be sure to check out our other Time of Grace podcasts. Thanks for listening, and God bless.